So we start making the meals at about 1 p.m. And then distribution starts at 5 p.m. However, we have cars that get there as early as 2 p.m. and sit and wait. Wait, just to make sure they get one. podcast for introverts, extroverts, and everybody in between. I am so excited about our guest that we have on today. She has written a children's book, been on the Disney Channel, been the subject of an amazing award-winning documentary, was the first US citizen to win the Clinton Global Citizen Award, which was presented to her by Matt Damon. (laughs) And on top of all of that, she runs a non-for-profit that feeds the hungry in America, and this is all because of a cabbage she grew when she was nine years old. Thank you so much for being here, Katie Stagliano. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So can you tell us a bit about Katie's Crops and how it got started and what it is that you do? So Katie's Crops is my not-for-profit organization We start and maintain vegetable gardens and donate their produce to soup kitchens, homeless shelters, and directly to families in need. We have Katie's Crops growers across the country who start gardens in their communities. These growers are between the ages of 9 and 16, and all of the produce from the gardens that they grow in their communities goes back to those in need in their communities. We also do monthly garden-to-table dinners that are free to anyone in need, and I do them in my local community. And since the coronavirus pandemic has started, we actually switched over to doing weekly meal distributions that's incredible. in my community, so that's been keeping us very busy. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, this all started um, when you were nine years old. Can you tell us about how it all started. So Katie's crops all began when I brought home a tiny cabbage seedling as a part of a school project in the third grade. I took my seedling home. I planted it in my backyard. Every day I would come home from school. I would water and weed around it. And as strange as it sounds, there were deer that were spotted in my neighborhood. So I actually built a cage around my cabbage <laughs> with wooden posts and chicken wire and I live on a golf course so all the golfers would give it the weirdest looks when they would (laughs) golf by they're like what is that but it did the trick and no deer touched my cabbage and it grew to be 40 pounds which was about the size of my four-year-old brother at the time so it was insane and I was wondering what I was going to do with this cabbage because it was enormous and it was far too much food for just my family and I And every night before I sat down to dinner, my dad would always tell us just how lucky we were to have a meal on the table and how there were some families who weren't as fortunate as us who went to bed hungry or relied on soup kitchens for what might be their only meal of the day. And that's when I got the idea that quite literally changed my life forever. I decided that I wanted to donate my cabbage to a soup kitchen to help feed these families in need. So one Wednesday morning in May of 2008, I brought my cabbage to a local soup kitchen, Tri-County Family Ministries, 
And that Friday, I came back and I was blessed to be able to serve it to 275 guests at the soup kitchen. And that day changed my life, seeing all of the faces in line of the people that I was helping and seeing that they were families just like mine, kids just like my brother and I, who had fallen down on hard times. And I thought if one cabbage can feed 275 people, then imagine how many people an entire garden could feed. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling on Katie's Crofts. It's just, it's just so incredible. And uh, we're here in Australia, so 40 pounds is about 18 kilos for those of us here. And I just, I, I cannot imagine how that is. Even, I do not possess a green thumb myself. <laughs> I kill mint, which is about the one plant everyone agrees cannot be killed. <laughs> I managed to kill mint. So I'm very impressed uh, by the fact that you could get a cabbage to grow that big. But also 275 people with one cabbage is just insane. And for someone that young to have the understanding to go – so much more can be done with this. It's just an incredible thing. Uh, so as far as I'm aware, you then went to your school and asked if you could uh, grow some veggies there as well. Yes. So I was in the fourth grade and I approached my school and kind of told them that I decided that I wanted to start gardens and donate the produce to Tri-County because I had found out that a lot of soup kitchens, emergency food programs, things like that didn't receive lots of donations of fresh vegetables, which is so very important to people's everyday meals. And after seeing how much fun it was, first of all, to grow my cabbage and then seeing how many people it helped to feed, I thought, well, why don't I just start growing gardens and then donate the produce? So I started one in my backyard and then I approached my school and I told them about what I wanted to do. And keep in mind, I was only in the fourth grade, but my school was amazing. They actually gave me a plot of land the size of a football field. Oh, my God. And they said, this is yours. You can do whatever you want with it. And I was blown away. I was like, oh, my goodness, there are so many possibilities. (laughs) (laughs) And that became our flagship garden. And it was really incredible just to have the support of my school, of my community at such a young age, believing in me and what I wanted to do and really helping to grow my dream. Yeah. And so did you have lots of other people helping you? Like did other like classmates join in, other people in the community help you? Because that's a massive garden for one fourth grader to maintain. So you had lots of other people helping you guys as well I had my community really step up and embrace it I met somebody at a food drive that I was holding that actually had a John Deere tractor and he brought it up to the garden and helped me till the garden after meeting me for 10 minutes at a food drive he was like I'm gonna bring my tractor up he spent hours helping me till the garden my classmates would come up we would have recess in the garden we would have our PE classes like science classes things like that so the garden was really utilized by my school and my classmates and just everyone in the community really embraced it came up to help donated supplies let me borrow tillers things like that and the company that grew the cabbage was super supportive and actually donated seedlings for us to plant 
in the ground at the garden. So everyone just came together and really uplifted me, supported me and my dream and the dreams of kids across the country. That's awesome. And when did you get your first garden outside of South Carolina? You know, because Katie's Crops has, I think, about 100 gardens at the moment, is it? Yeah. So when was that first one that you weren't necessarily hands-on with? So after the garden at my school, I had just been receiving emails from kids across the United States saying, we think what you're doing is awesome. We really believe in your dream. We also have a passion about ending hunger. What can we do? And they had been supporting me and I wanted to pay it forward and support them and their dreams. So I was like, I want to offer essentially grants for these youth to become Katie's Crops growers, for them to start gardens similar to what I have in South Carolina in their own communities, wherever they have the plot of land to grow and then help them to be able to help their own communities. So we launched a grant application for these kids to fill out to become KG Swaps growers. And they, wherever they could find a plot of land, whether it was boys and girls clubs, churches, community centers, libraries in their backyard, they would start these gardens and then kind of tell us their plan for the garden, where they were going to donate their produce, things like that, so we could get a sense of it. And my very first grower application I was so worried I was like is anybody even going to apply like I know I've heard from kids across the country but I was like I'm so scared that no one's gonna apply and we were gonna offer two grants that was the plan and we received over 200 applications oh my god very first one it was amazing and of course it made it all the much harder to pick yes receive these so we ended up giving 10 our very first time and it's kind of just grown from there we've been doing this for the past 10 years helping kids become cages crops growers across the country and they've just been incredible yeah and where do you find that how do you fundraise to get that money to be able to supply those grants so we have several different ways we apply for grants ourselves We have individuals in the community and across the country who have donated to help make this possible. And then we also have companies that sponsor us. We have a lot of support from individuals in the grocery industry, the fresh produce industry, gardening tools, things like that. People who truly believe in what we're doing that will step up and help and sponsor a grower cycle to help us be able to fund these gardens. That's absolutely awesome. And uh, you mentioned the Katie's Crops dinners that you guys do once a month, at least not in the current climate, you're doing it even more. <laughs> um, but even with the current climate, the other produce, you know, the meat and the bread and those other things, do you have partners that supply those things? So whatever we can't grow for our dinners, we actually end up purchasing. And in the current climate and everything that's happening today, I found so many people have really stepped up and helped us make this possible. They have been donating. We had one person who had a farm and donated excess meat to us so that we could use it for our dinners. We've had people who have been like, oh, we're going to the grocery store. What can we pick up? What do you need for your dinner? Things like that. But whatever we can't grow, we have to purchase unless it's donated. So... 
we are so blessed right now to have had the community kind of come together and help us because it's around $600 every week to feed because we're feeding 400 individuals. That's how many to-go meals we make each week. That's incredible. So it's quite extensive, (laughs) but it's been awesome to have so much support. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And um, just talking about all the support and the things you get, obviously this is – it's such a big task that you've taken on. You know, I, I looked up the statistics and approximately 0.17% of U.S. citizens are homeless, which is over 553,000. Um, so even, you know – the ripple effect that you would have of, you know, the people who are donating to you and the people who are who are growing their own Katie's Crops Gardens, you know, maybe you're not able to help every single one of those people, but, you know, people pass it forward as well, um, which is just such an incredible thing. And how do you feel? I mean, you started this when you were so young and it's been happening pretty much the whole time. I, when I first started reading about you, I thought, okay, when she was nine, she did the cabbage. And then like maybe a few years later, she went, oh, remember that cabbage that I grew? But you basically from nine started doing this, which is just amazing. How does all the attention feel? Are you used to doing things like podcasts and panels? And, you know, obviously you didn't go into this expecting all that attention how have you gotten used to it so it's definitely something that it took some getting used to I was very shy when I first started all of this but it's what I think of it more as is hoping to inspire other people to kind of spread our message and inspire kids whether they're passionate about gardening or whether they have another cause they're passionate about, just to kind of let people know about what we're doing. And then if they're motivated to help us, or if they know someone in need in their community that they can help, or they have a cause that they believe in that they want to get started, kind of just inspire them and show them that it really doesn't matter how young or how old you are, you can make a difference in the community. And really across the world, when I was nine years old, I decided that my big dream was to end hunger, which is a huge, huge thing, <laughs> especially at nine. I was like, oh, I got this. But I've got it's, this. It's easy. I got it in the bag. <laughs> but it's really been an incredible journey. And with all the support and people saying, you got this, like, we're here for you. We're going to help you in any way you can. I want to do the same for other people and show them that they can do this too, even if they do have an enormous goal like ending hunger with whatever project they may want to do. That's, uh, I mean, I keep saying you're incredible, but it's just true. (laughs) (laughs) Now I wanted to ask you about um, the documentary you were in the starfish throwers. I watched it the other night and immediately called my family and said, go watch this documentary. It's just so heartwarming and so beautiful. How did that come about? Did somebody approach you about doing this? I mean, you were only, I think 13 at the time. Yes. So it's actually a funny story. Someone approached my mom and they said that we're doing this documentary and it's going to be about people fighting hunger and we really want to feature your daughter. And so my mom came to me and she was like, I got a call from this really nice man. Like, this is what he's doing. He would love to feature you in this documentary. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to do it. (laughs) And I was like, 
And so my mom was like, okay, like I'll call and I'll let him know. And she came back and she was like, I was on the phone with him for an hour and for 30 minutes, he just talked about how passionate he was about this and how he really wanted to make this documentary, the goals he had for it and how much he wanted you to be included. And he was like, she was like, you're going to be so mad at me, but I said you would do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, great. But it actually ended up being one of the best decisions that I've ever made. It's really incredible to see the work that Alan's doing, the work that Krishnan's doing in their communities. And we actually still correspond with Alan and his team to this day, which is awesome. He's so incredible. And just to be a part of something so amazing, I definitely cringe watching myself. But (laughs) what I have found that's really cool is a lot of people that come to the dinners and things like that, when they're kind of captured on film and that moment's captured on film, we have lost several of our dinner guests, like they have passed away. And being able to kind of see things like that and see their smiling faces is always amazing. So even though sometimes I'm like, oh, I really don't want to watch myself. It's great just to see all those memories and everything captured. That's so wonderful. And I will put a link to it in the description because I think everybody should watch it. Um, And I wanted to ask as well, something you see at the end of the documentary and I mentioned it earlier was you were the first US citizen to win the Clinton's Global Citizen Award. Uh, Can you tell us about that? Did someone have to nominate you? Did they sort of find you through all the articles and stuff? How did that happen? So I was in the seventh grade when all of this happened and I was in math class and I got my teacher was like, Katie, like, you have to go to the front office. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> what did so, I do? <laughs> yeah, I was like, running through my mind. I was like, why do I need to go to the front office in the middle of class? What's happening? And my mom was there and I was like, oh, okay. And she had a letter. She was like, I want you to read this. And the letter was actually from President Clinton. And he was saying basically that he wanted to give me this honor. He thought the work that I was doing with Katie's props was amazing. And it was so incredible to read. He was actually the president when I was born, which was crazy. And then he sent this letter and it was just the most amazing experience. I got to travel to New York and be in a room with the most incredible world leaders, presidents, diplomats, just the most incredible people. And just to hear what innovative projects they had going on and change makers all across the world what they were doing to make a difference in their communities and really having all these people come together to talk about world issues it was definitely probably one of the coolest things I've ever experienced just to be in a room with that many amazing people who are just so passionate about making a change and just to hear everyone come together from all over the world from all different walks of life and just come together for this one issue it was an incredible experience oh I can just imagine and now this is going to make me sound really shallow because you've just gone on about all of the amazing world (laughs) leaders and everything how was meeting Matt Damon were you old enough to really know who he was at that point (laughs) so I'm kind of embarrassed to say this but my reference to Matt Damon at the time was We Bought a Zoo, which I know is so bad. (laughs) My mom was like, are you kidding me? It was, yeah. 
she was like goodwill hunting she's in all these movies and i was like oh my gosh i just watched we bought a zoo and my mom was like are you serious but he was so nice so nice and he made me a lot less nervous because as i said there were some really really cool people in the room and so when I had to walk up on stage and give a speech in front of them, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is slightly terrifying. Oh, I can so I went up there and he like whispered in my ear. He's like, you've got this. And I was like, OK, I've got this. Oh, and that's so cool. it was awesome. I was I mean, I when I watched the documentary, it had the clip of you receiving the award and I saw him whisper something in your ear. I'm like, can I ask her what he whispered? <laughs> You know, ear, is that a weird question for me to ask? But you gave me the answer, so it's fine. <laughs> now, something else I wanted to ask about was, obviously, even though you're doing this incredible work, something that they did talk about in that documentary was that you have gotten negative emails and contact from people, you know, saying that you shouldn't be doing this, which is just insane because what could possibly be wrong with feeding people who are hungry? But how did those make you feel and how do you push past those things? So it's definitely hard, especially when I was younger, to receive negative emails and people saying, why are you doing this? And I found the focus of it was really people not understanding the issue of hunger, the issue of homelessness, and really just grouping people into this one big stereotype that, oh, they put themselves in a situation, oh, they're lazy, oh, they just want free handouts. And it really makes me upset because I have grown so close to these individuals. They're like a second family to me. And I know that they're just people who have fallen down on hard times, whether that's their home burned down, they lost their job, they're struggling between paying medical bills or putting food on the table, paying rent or putting food on the table. There's just so many factors that go into it and for people to kind of just group everyone together and say, oh, why are you helping these people? They're so lazy. They put themselves in this situation. And I think really until you've walked in someone else's shoes, you don't have the room to judge them and to put them into this category. And when I was younger, it was definitely really difficult to receive messages like that. It kind of made me stop and be like, I thought this was a great thing. These are incredible people. Why are people doubting me? But I just kind of pushed it aside and tried not to let it bother me and keep going with what I was doing. Because as I said, these people are like family to me and I couldn't imagine my life without them. So to kind of let negativity get in the way, I try not to do that. And especially now when I'm older, I definitely am just like, that's unfortunate that that's the way that you feel, but this is not something that I plan on stopping anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Like you just, you can't, you can never know what's going on in somebody's life. You know, even just in your day to day, you know, if somebody's rude to you in the shops, they could just be having a bad day, you know, and you don't know. So I find it just insane that people could possibly, possibly send you any negative emails about, what you're doing because it's just incredible um now you talked a bit about uh how you've changed things slightly during the pandemic um so can you tell us sort of a little bit more about how the weekly meals work now um during all of this so when COVID first became prevalent in the United States I wasn't quite sure how it was going to play out, what was going to happen. I don't think anybody was, but I knew that having 
for our monthly dinners, we usually had 150 to 200 people gathered together in a room. It was kind of like a social event. Everyone would sit together at tables. They would save seats for their friends. We would go out and serve the meals. Everyone would get to talk and laugh. And it was just a really great atmosphere. And I knew that having that many people in a room was no longer going to be a viable option. So we were brainstorming and trying to figure out just how we were going to keep doing these dinners because the need had grown tremendously. There were so many individuals now out of work, kids that were receiving subsidized lunches at schools that are no longer going to school. Oh, wow, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And there's so many things that we might not think of because it's just such a normal part of everyday life. But yeah. now the world's kind of, everything's shifted and everything's changed tremendously. So we definitely saw an increased need in my community and communities across the country. And so what we decided to do was make our dinner a drive through to go kind of meal distribution. and. This way we could still see everybody that we were helping and kind of get that one-on-one interaction with them because these people, I have been seeing them for nine years now. And so I still want to be able to check in on them, see how they're doing, things like that, get to talk to them and also be able to provide them with meals, but not have that many people in a room together. We wear masks and gloves Mm -hmm. while we're preparing the meals, while we're serving the meals the individuals stay in their car the whole time and we're able to provide meals for them, for their families. We have an amazing community involvement and everyone in the community bakes desserts for the dinner, bags them up. And it's awesome. It gets, it's something for the kids to do while they're home from school. Mm. It's something that people can do when they feel like they're making a difference. And of course, like these individuals are wearing gloves, like if they're not feeling well, they're not doing the baking and things like that. But it's something that they can do to get involved. And the guests love the desserts. So we're able to give them that as well. And it's just been a really great experience. We started off giving out 200 meals. And we saw the need grow so much that we now give out 400 meals every week. Oh, my God. it's crazy. We distribute these. So we start making the meals at about 1 p.m. every Thursday. And then distribution starts at 5 p.m. However, we have cars that get there as early as 2 p.m. and sit and wait. And wait just to make sure the they get one. Yeah, we've had people arriving so early and it's heartbreaking. And our last distribution, the food bank actually came and brought disaster relief boxes. And we had 114 cars come through. And we, it was insane. We ran out of food. We ran out of disaster relief boxes Mm -hmm. because there was just so many people that were there and that were in need. And it's heartbreaking just to see all of these families who are struggling and just everything that's going on but it has been really great to get to see them every week to get to talk to them interact with them Mm -hmm. and things like that so that has been the highlight of my week although it is very heartbreaking sometimes yeah it is it's just beautiful to see 
how people are banding together. Obviously, it's a lot worse over in the States where you are than it is here in Australia. And I just I cannot fathom what it must be like to be over there at the moment. And to have someone like you who is out there actively helping a community that's been hit particularly hard um, is just such an amazing thing to hear about. Um, yeah, just incredible. And I wanted to talk as well about how this is a a youth program a lot. Like you said that um, most of your growers are between nine and, and 16 years of age. Was that an important thing to you that this be sort of a youth run thing or is it just sort of how it, it turned out that you had so many youth involved? So it was very important to me that this was youth run. I was nine years old when I started all of this. And I found that there wasn't, when I first began, there wasn't a ton of grants that specifically targeted youth and programs that were just youth involved. But I found that youth have this incredible power. They don't focus on the obstacles and the negative. They focus on the positive, the difference they can make. They have this incredible drive and passion. And I really just wanted to uplift and support youth across the United States and really across the world and help them to follow their dreams and make a difference in their community. So I chose for the Kitties Crops Growers the start date to be the ninth or nine and then the age cutoff to be 16 because we want youth to be able to kind of transition. I know going off the college around. 18 mm-hmm. here in the United States who wanted kids to have time to kind of transition and pass their garden along to someone else and kind of make that transition as smooth as possible. So that's why we chose the date or the age range that we did. And it's just really important to me to do something to empower youth because of the incredible support I received when I was nine. I want to do the same. That's amazing. And I, I heard that you um, did a like a Katie's Crops camp one time with some of your growers. Can you tell us about that? That was so much fun. So we <laughs> did the camp for five years and it was great because before the camp, we were never able to, as expensive as it would be to kind of travel across the country, that was something that we weren't able to do to visit all the gardens, to meet all of our growers. So this was an opportunity for us to have around 15 growers come in from across the United States to get to interact with one another, for me to get to meet them, our team to get to meet them. And then this camp was kind of an immersive experience. We taught the growers new growing techniques, kind of how to combat issues that they may have had. We did a mock Katie's Crops dinner with them. We did some service projects. So it was great for them to connect with one another, to connect with us, to learn things that they can go ahead and bring back to their gardens to help their communities. And just, it was an overall really incredible experience. I really enjoyed it. We ended up stopping the camp when I went off to college just because it became very difficult with scheduling and everything like that. But it was one of my favorite things that we did with Katie Crocs. Is it something that you think you'll start up again in the future? I would definitely love to start it up again in the future. I think it's a great experience and it's great for kids of all different ages from all across the country, all different walks of life to kind of come together 
and bond over something, a passion that they have and create these long lasting friendships with one another and learn new and amazing things that they can bring back and help with their communities. I just think it's an amazing situation. So I would love to see it come back together. That's that's really cool. Um, now you mentioned that you um, are at college. How? What have you been studying and, and how long have you got to go? I am studying communications and minoring in leadership change and social responsibility. And I actually was supposed to walk in graduation on May 8th. But because oh, no. of the coronavirus and everything, thank goodness they actually pushed our graduation to October. Oh, so, so you'll still get to do it. I still get to walk at graduation, which is really exciting. But yes, it's been an interesting end to college. Mm-hmm. My last semester was kind of cut short and classes went online. But everything happens for a reason. So Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, studying leadership and social change makes a lot of sense for you and communication as well. How do you think you'll use your studies um, to sort of push Katie's crops further? What are you going to use them for? (laughs) So I kind of planned studying communications because we don't necessarily at Katie's crops. Our team is very, very small. It's me, my mom is the president, we have a master gardener, my dad kind of handles the finances, and we have a few other core volunteers. But I really wanted to be able to push Katie's Crops further across the United States, let people know about what we're doing, and increase our footprint. And then leadership change and social responsibility, that's a business minor. We learned a lot about management and things like that, which was really important for me because I'm planning on taking over as president and kind of stepping up more. When I was in school, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, and then college, it was obviously harder for me to take on a bigger role in the organization. I still did as much as I could, but being president, I just didn't have the time for that and managing my studies. So I definitely wanted to make sure that I came in to this role as prepared as I could be. So hopefully everything that I learned in college will help me kind of increase the footprint of Katie's crops and help us help even more people. That's amazing. And is there, is there one thing that you could suggest to people, one small thing that they could do to make a difference? My suggestion is to follow your heart, to follow a cause that you believe in, And remember that you're never too young or too old to make a difference. And it doesn't matter how large or how small your efforts are. It could be something as small as planting a cabbage seedling and it could change (laughs) your life. You never know kind of the ripple effect of your actions as well. I found that sometimes I'll donate a basket of vegetables to a family that I know is very much in need. And then they will share those vegetables with their friends because even though they're in need, they know that their friends are in need as well. Mm. So you never know how many lives you can touch by just one small action. So just find something you're passionate about and you'll do amazing things. That's awesome. And, you know, part of what this podcast is about, I'm interviewing people in their 20s and 30s. And it's partially because I think, you know, 
in that age bracket, obviously for younger people as well, you can often feel like you're either too young to do something or too old to do something. And I think you prove that that is not the case. You know, you can do it all. Now, I like to ask people a bit of a random question towards the end of the interview. Um, so I want to ask you, what is the best way to eat potato? You know, is it mashed potato, roast potato, chips, tater tots? What's what's your go-to? I'm going to say it's a tie between french fries and mashed potatoes. Mm. It kind of depends on, like, the meal that you're eating. Because sometimes, true. you know, you have a fast food craving and french fries hit the spot. And, and then if salt. you're doing – yes. <laughs> I've been – I found over when I get really stressed during quarantine and things like that, I'm like, french fries. I could really use some french fries. <laughs> Do you could just grab some potatoes out of the garden and <laughs> – We've we've actually done really well growing potatoes and we've been trying to come up with new and different things to do with them at the dinners. We should honestly try french fries. I feel like that would be I think everyone that'd be a French fries. Exactly, exactly. It'd be a crowd pleaser. (laughs) Now a question that I ask everybody, uh the show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident, because that's how I once described myself. (laughs) Do you consider yourself a confident person? I think that my work with Katie's Crafts has made me more confident. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, there's a lot going on in the world today. And there's a lot of kind of pressures from Mm -hmm. coming from all over to fit a certain mold of a person. And I think that my work with Katie's Crafts has really helped me to be comfortable in my own skin, to realize that I have people that support me and what I'm doing and that has really just helped me to grow my confidence. So I would say, yes, no, I think that I am. That's awesome. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Katie. It's been so fantastic to have you. And thank you to everyone who listened. Uh, If you could subscribe and leave a review, five stars would be nice. You can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J Heaney. That's H-E-A-N-E-Y. Or you can follow this podcast at Loud and Seemingly Confident. Katie, do you have any socials that you want to plug? We have a Twitter and an Instagram that is at Katie's Crops, Katie with a K and Crops with a K. And then we're on Facebook at Katie Sagliano and at Katie's Crops. And you can check out our website as well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for being here, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun. It was great to talk with you.